Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Man, don't you just love dad jokes? I can't go, I can't have Father's Day go by without me sharing a couple of them. Uh, here we go. What do you call a fat psychic? A four-chin teller. Get that, four chins? Oh. How about this one? Why did the scarecrow win an award? He was outstanding in the field. Here's this next one. When does a dad joke become a dad joke? When it becomes a parent. Get it? Oh. I know. Enough with the silly dad jokes. Well, good morning. We're so glad you're here. I just want to give you an update. I know last week we, we prayed that God would give us favor as we went to the Williamson, uh, the Williamson uh, County because they appraised our land for $2.5 million. We we're going to get that. So we prayed. God went before us, prepared a way. So we got tax exemption for uh, six of our acres that, that we're going to be building on. That is amazing. Praise God for that. And the other houses are four houses that we have that they were able, they're going to charge us, which is crazy, just $110,000 per house. So we're just going to get taxed. 330 some thousand dollars so we're looking at a $70,000 tax bill so now it has gone down all the way to about a $7,000 tax bill only God thank you Lord all those four houses for $330,000 thank you for your prayers God is moving and pretty soon we're going to be getting all the the feedback from how we're going to how with the cost for our building in and we'll update you when that's happening thank you for giving thank you for being part of what God is doing and happy Father's Day see there's no title I cherish more than being called a dad. I love being dad and every part that comes with it. I love picking up my girls from school and when I get down there, I roll down the windows and I jam some hip hop and I sway back and forth and I go, what's up Nevaeh? She's getting all embarrassed and she's trying to jump over me and I love it when she's standing in front of some guys Alana and says, is that the guy you're always talking about? And just like every part of being a dad I absolutely love. And, it, and they, they get embarrassed by it, but I don't care. That's part of my job as a dad. And, and what blows me away is my oldest, Alana, this year is going to be a senior. And my youngest, Nevea, is going to start high school. And I start thinking, like, where have the years gone? I'll never pick up Alana from school again or take her to school again because... I've already done that. She's going to be driving to school next year. Watch out from 7 to 8 o'clock. Stay off the streets in Round Rock. I start thinking this. It's going to be her first, last day of school. And when I start thinking about all this stuff, I got to admit my allergies start acting up. And I start feeling a little uh, nostalgic during this season because I realize a season in my life is about to change. And I don't like it. And I remember praying earlier this year, and I said, God, I pray, I wish time could just stand still. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me, Benito, time can't stand still, but you can. So here, here's my advice for you as a father. Take time and enjoy every season. One day your kid will ask you to pick him up for the last time, even though it's annoying right now. You'll pick up your daughter, your son for the last time, and you won't realize it's the last time. You'll have a tea party with your daughter. Enjoy them while they're there. Shoot hoops with your son. One day you'll have your last tea party. You'll have imaginary friends down there. And one day you'll say like, wow, I'm driving her to school for the last time. And dads, maximize 
your time. You have a short time to shape your kids' values and beliefs. God designed the family to be led by the Father. And according to studies, when a child comes to Christ less than 4% of the time, the entire family will join them at church. When a mother comes to church, to Christ, her family will join her at church 16% of the time. But when a father comes to Christ, his family joins him 93% of the time in worship. So as fathers... Our influence over an entire family is huge. And this morning, we're continuing our series, Wonder Life, with a message called The Dad Life. And we're going to look at how a loving father saved his daughter from certain death. The story is found in Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43. So take out your Bibles, follow along the screens, because we are going to go through this incredible message. And God's going to speak to us in an amazing way. In our story, we will read two of the most well-known stories in all the Gospels. We're going to look at them together instead of separately because they're what theologians call the Markin sandwich. And the reason it's this, the whole part of doing this and Mark, why Mark sandwiches these two to- stories together is the whole point of doing this is one story magnifies the intensity of the other. They work together to tell us about God's work in our life and the timing of his work in our life and how God works in our life. Like Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 55 says this, that God's ways are not our ways. That the way he sees things are not the way we see things. And so many times we get caught up because God has a 30,000 foot view of our lives and we just see the trees that are in front of us. And what these true stories do is they tell us how God works and God's purposes for our lives. I believe this is going to be an eye-opening message for many of you, and God wants to speak to you. So before we go into God's holy word, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would begin to touch your servant, that you would give him clarity of thought and ease of expression, Lord, all week long. I've tried my best to prepare this message. Use it today, Lord. The time, the prayer, Lord God, may it show today. And pray this, Lord. Say, say, Lord, open my ears to hear and my heart to receive what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. God, speak to us through your word. Amen. So let's read the story in Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 21. A great crowd gathered around him, Jesus, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing him, and this is important, Underline this, he fell at his feet. Underline that part. And implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with them. The ESV leaves it out and most of the translations leave it out. But in the Greek, the story starts with the word behold. In other words, you're not going to believe this. This is shocking. Like, say what? And you'll notice that Mark is going to describe and use the description for this man, ruler of the synagogue, four times in this story. Because it's so shocking. See, the leaders of the synagogue are against Jesus. They don't like that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. They don't like that Jesus contradicts their teaching. They don't like what Jesus says and what Jesus does. They are bitter rivals. And here, the ruler of the synagogue is coming to Jesus for help. And what is absolutely mind-blowing, look at verse 22. Look what he does. I told you to underline it. He fell at his feet, which is a sign of worship. The ruler worships Jesus. It's unbelievable. How is this happening? This ruler's name is Jairus. And for good reason, he falls at Jesus' feet. He has only one daughter, the apple of his eye. She was full of life, bouncing around. 
and now she's become drowsy. She's sick, and they don't know why. She's getting less and less responsive, not just by the day, by the hour. It's gotten desperate. She hasn't eaten in days. She's losing color. She's having a hard time breathing. Her fever is skyrocketing. He's tried everything in his power. He's tried every remedy that they say to try. He's called the town doctor. Nothing is working. She's getting worse, and she's knocking on death's door. She is moments from death. If you've ever had a child who is sick, you know there is nothing that you would do in your power than to get them well. And this man, remember, is about a man by the name of Jesus. And he's a healer, and Jesus can help her. He may have been against Jesus before, but he needs a miracle, and Jesus is a miracle worker. But going to Jesus means that Jairus is jeopardizing his standing in the community. Don't think of Jairus as a pastor. Think of him as a lay leader. There was one temple in Israel, and that was in Jerusalem, but there were synagogues. Everywhere there was a Jewish community, 10 or more families. And the Jewish synagogue was not kind of a church, but also a community center where all Jewish life would come from. So this man was the ruler of the synagogue. He was like the mayor of the town. He was prominent. He was spiritual. He was wealthy. He was respected by everybody. And when and he has to come to Jesus and he has to be thinking, what would people think if I go to Jesus? I'm going to lose my respect. I'm going to lose my place. But he said, doesn't care. And that's the first thing you got to realize. When Jesus is going to move in your life, he's the only opinion that matters. Who cares what people out there think? This man is desperate and he needs to get to Jesus. He can care less about what everybody else thinks because Jesus is the only one that can meet his need. And here are five lessons that we learn from this story. The first one is this, that miracles are set in motion when you get into the presence of Jesus. There's nothing that's more powerful when you get into the presence of Jesus. Notice in verse 24 that Jesus is going through life. He's healing people. He's doing different things. But he stops everything. And he goes with him. When somebody got into his presence, look at verse 20, 24. And he went with him. You realize that the moment we pray, the moment we worship, the moment we get into the presence of Jesus, heaven is activated in our situation. God begins to move and his blessings begin to flow. I want, you need to, and if Jesus is going to move in your life, if there's one thing that you got to do, if you want to live this wonder life with the power of God in your life, you need to learn to get into the presence of Jesus. And the avenue to get into the presence of Jesus is only two ways. It's through prayer and it's through worship. This man comes to Jesus. He he falls in his feet and worships. So if God's going to move in your life, you got to learn two spiritual disciplines. you got to learn to worship God, and you got to learn to pray and see God. Because if we look back at the first miracle, it happens when Mary came into the presence of Jesus. You're going to see this is how every miracle starts, when somebody brings a need into the almighty creator of the universe. So a miracle is in motion. But here's a second lesson, probably the most important lesson there is in this passage. A lesson I think we all got to learn. God's answers almost never come according to our schedule. Everybody say amen on that one. We say it, but we don't like it, right? This is where most Christians get discouraged in their work with God. This is what they're expecting to, to God to do. This is the reality of the current situation. And the gap in between that is called frustration. How do we navigate the frustration in our lives? What do we do? 
And this story tells us what to do with our frustration and how we, God moves in the midst of our frustration. Because I'm going to tell you, if you walk with God long enough, you are going to come to a point when you're expecting this and your reality is this, and you are going to live in frustration. And your ability to navigate through that frustration will be determine what God can do in your life. Louis Palau, the famous evangelist who preaches all around the world, says God answers prayer in one of five ways. He says this. First way is this. Yes, I thought you would never ask. Man. God is just waiting for us to ask different things to show his blessings. Number two, I've had him answer this one. No, I love you too much. It'll destroy you. Can't handle it. Number three, yes, but not now. You're not ready. Four, yes. And here's more. I love it when he answers that. And number five, yes, but differently than you thought. This is where it's important to get into the mind of God. And in this story, Jesus will answer differently than Jairus is expecting. Verse 24. And he went with him. And a gr- great crowd followed him and thronged around him. See, the crowd is curious. Here we have a synagogue leader asking Jesus for help. And Jesus says, yes, this is absolutely crazy. The crowd is like, let's get some popcorn and let's see what's going to happen. And verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Most scholars agree that this is a chronic female menstrual cycle problem. It could be a tumor that's bleeding. It's, it's not life-threatening because she had it for 12 years, but it's getting worse and worse. She would not stop bleeding. And that day, outside of leprosy, there's nothing a woman could experience worse than this. Uh, to discharge, to have a discharge of blood, according to the Old Testament, instantly made her unclean. And to be unclean meant she had to wear a clothing in a way that would signify to everybody that she was unclean. When people got around her, she had to shout and warn everybody, unclean, I'm clean, don't touch me. You can't, because the moment she would touch anybody, they would be made unclean too. And look at verse 26. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better rather grew worse she had tried everything nothing is getting worse sexually she cannot be touched by her husband socially she cannot be around people maternally she cannot have children spiritually she can't be at the synagogue and worship financially she is ruined she's broke she's an outcast she's out of options and she could not even be in the crowd in fact if somebody would see her in the crowd they would have thrown rocks at her because the very presence her very touch would have defiled everybody But in verse 27, she also heard about Jesus and she had a desperate, let me tell you, we serve a God who's attracted to desperation. Every one of us, somebody's desperate, like, oh, Lord, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. But God, for some reason, is attracted when somebody is desperate for him. And she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. This wasn't just a tag your it touch. The Greek word means to grab a hold of. And verse 29 says, when she grabbed a hold of him, immediately the flow of blood dried up. And that word immediately in Mark, he uses it 40 times, three times alone in this passage alone. It talks about how God just sometimes just moves suddenly in a situation. And verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately, again, you see that word, turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? 
The Greek word for power there is the word dunamis. It means dynamite. The dynamite power of God flows out of him and onto this lady and she is healed immediately. That shows us that we have the ability to connect and touch with God and release his power onto our situation with faith that the power of God wants to move in our lives. And verse 31 says, and his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you? Yet you say, who touched you? I love this verse. And he looked around to see who had done it. I want to have a faith that causes Jesus to stop what he's doing, to look around and turn his attention towards me, don't you? Notice there's a big difference from just being part of the crowd and truly connecting to Jesus. See, you can come to church on Sunday, you can sing a song, but Jesus looks beyond the crowd. He looks for the one who is committed and who truly wants to connect with him. Jesus sees beyond the thousands. Jesus sees beyond the room, and he sees a heart that is thirsty and a hungry that wants to meet him. Second Chronicles says it like this. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking for hearts that are fully committed to him. And this is a picture of this in the New Testament. Is Jesus says, you know what? There's somebody in here that wants to touch me. I know you say there's a big crowd in front of me. I know you said everybody's touching me. I understand that. But you've got to realize, somebody touched me. Somebody's desperate here. Somebody's committed. Somebody wants me to move in their situation. This is not just a tag you're in touch. This is somebody wants me. See, all these people are just casual, curious observers, but somebody touched Jesus in the crowd and says, I got to move in their lives. But the verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. I don't think we can comprehend the tense anxiety of this situation the lady is feeling. According to the law, the moment she touched this holy man, Jesus, she made him unclean. According to the law, she defiled this holy man. And if people saw that she defiled the holy man in the midst of going to a miracle in the synagogue, they would have stoned her right there and they would have killed her. But Jesus is about to show her that his grace is greater than the law. You're going to see the gospel in this. She comes out of the crowd fell down before him and told him, underline this, the whole truth. She tells Jesus the whole story. The crowd is gasping. They're wondering, did she bump into us? Did she touch you? My kids are here. How dare you defile one of my kids? How did you put us in such a situation? The tension is thick. They're waiting. What's Jesus going to do to her? Are they going to throw her out? Are they going to kill her? Are they going to stone her? What's going to happen here? According to the law, anybody she touched would be made unclean. And Jesus is unclean according to the law. But the law of grace is greater than the law. And when she comes to Jesus, she, she shares her story and she braces what's about to come. She's waiting for the words of Jesus. She's waiting for condemnation and pain and hurt. And look what verse 34 says. And he said to her, underline this, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. When Jesus touches you, no matter how unclean you are, immediately you become clean and well and accepted. Jesus is greater than the lot. Jesus is greater than your baggage. Jesus is greater than your struggles. Jesus is greater than your mistakes. When Jesus touches you, I don't care what you've been involved in, what's going on in your life, how dirty you feel, how much of an outcast you are. When the hand of heaven puts their hand on you, everything is changed in a moment. And I want you to notice something beautiful here. Jesus calls her daughter out of all the words she was expecting to hear at that moment out of everything the crowd was calling at her she heard in the background 
This was not one of them. I didn't fully understand the full dish definition of daughter until 17 years ago and then again 14 years ago. See, I'm this macho guy that grew up in northern New Mexico with a bunch of brothers and a bunch of crazy uncles. I remember my, my uncles would tell me growing up if we wore shorts that we were sissies and weak and they had to show you, prove yourself, I'm, you're a man. I'm like, I am, look at me. And I had to show up. Like, that's how crazy it was. And growing up, We'd wrestle, we'd play football, we'd box in the backyard. I thought I would have a bunch of sons that were rough and tough and hyper. I've never been around girls for an extended period of time other than my mom till I got married. And oh, Lord, was that crazy on our marriage. And to my shock, my wife gave me, daughter, daughter. Thought there was no way a tough guy like me that was rough could produce a female. Who knew I would produce nothing but females? Even our dog is a female. And I remember the first time I held my girls, there was like a baby burrito wrapped in a pink blanket. And I would wonder, what in the world am I going to do with a daughter? But from day one, they had me wrapped around their finger. I remember as a young father, I'd come home from the office when the girls were still small. I can still see my girls in their little spring dresses with flowers on it. Wearing flip-flops with flowers between the first and the second toe that matched the dress. They wore bows with flowers in their hair. It was at that moment I learned the true meaning of accessorizing. <laughs> and I, once I walked in the door, my little girls would come to me. Jennifer would put them down and they'd come to speed. They'd, I would walk and they'd kind of waddle to me. And they'd walk. And they'd go faster and faster as I come closer. And to get out of the way, I was like, I want to get on my knees. And I'd pick them up and they'd squeal. And they'd say, Dada! Dada! God in his wisdom knew that the only thing that would break my machismo is daughter times two. And this is the only place in the entire Gospels, in the entire Bible, that Jesus calls someone daughter. And it's reserved for her. For 12 years, she was unlovable, unhuggable, unacceptable, unclean, uninvitable to anything. And now she is called daughter. After hearing her whole story, the, he lets the crowd know, this one's in mine. She belongs to me. She's my daughter. And here's the thing. If you have a problem with her, you have a problem with me. So step back, punk. Jesus is letting everybody know what's happening. This is what it means to be loved by the father. To be a daughter, to be loved and accepted and protected by the Father. See, in this aging, chubby frame of mine, I don't know what I have left in me. But I promise you, you will find out if you mess with my daughter what I have left in the tank and what I have loaded in the closet. There's still a little bit of hood in this hood rat right there. You mess with her, you mess with me. Actually, a couple weeks ago, We dropped the girls off at, and her friends at Lakeline Mall. The girls were coming in, and I noticed her friend, Nevaeh, at that time, were very shaken up. They were worried, and one of them was crying, and they said, there's this weird man, like in his 20s, that's looking at us, licking his lips, and making all kinds of crazy noise at us. He works at one of the food court areas, and he's just making us feel weird, Dad. Like, Heck no, you don't tell me that. No, no, go, don't go tell him. Don't go tell him. You better believe I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go find him. So I over there, I park like, Dad, Dad, you're a pastor. Guess what? There's ministry in prison if I have to. I don't care.
The Lord can use me there. I park. Jennifer and I walk in. The girls walk in there. Raz, why can I cross in? This older gentleman, probably in his mid-20s, starts making noises and looking at my junior high daughter. And once I found that, you don't even have to point them out to me. I go straight to him and I say, oh, I've been said words I haven't said in a while. Man, you know, that's my daughter. She's in junior high. Man, you mess with her, you mess with me. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, oh Lord, I'm losing it, but I don't care right now. And I looked at him in the face and I said, man, you realize she's 14 years old? Orale, man, you what I said? You know you don't do that with her? And he's like, oh, no, no, I didn't do that. At that moment, that young man realizes you don't mess with a daughter who has a daddy that loves her. Went and told the neighbor and I think told the manager. And anyways, that's a whole other situation I can get into. But the woman in this story is given a new title, daughter. She is free from the law. She is made well. And why she is telling, Mark tells us the whole truth according to Mark. I can just picture Jarius thinking to himself, when is she going to stop talking? My daughter's getting worse by the minute. We need to get going. It's like Jarius gets Jesus on the ambulance. Now the ambulance stops. And I, I don't want to sound sexist here, but it's fact that men and women tell stories differently. I asked Jennifer, how was lunch with her co-workers? She tells me who was there, what they were wearing, where they were seated, what they ordered, how long it took for them to get their food, the temperature of the room, how the table was set, how it tasted. Like, oh, Lord, just how was dinner? I mean, she asked me. I said, it was good. <laughs> and Jerry says, like, when is this lady going to stop talking? Yes, she has a problem, but it's not as serious as my daughter's problem. She's lived with it for 12 years. His daughter needs immediate attention. Everybody who's been to the emergency room knows that when you deal with an acute problem, you deal with that immediately before you deal with a chronic problem. By God's grace, I've only been to the ER once in my life. I was a mission trip in Mexico. And while we were doing, seriously, everybody's, having, everybody's wrestling, messing around. I'm having my devotions. These homies, big old chubby homies, by the way, stepped on my finger. It popped out. The bone started coming. It started squirting out everything in my middle finger here. Remember I, told the, I went and told uh, my, my uh, leaders at the time, I, <laughs> like this, my, my finger's busted up. Man, quit. Quit flipping me off there. No, I'm serious. This is real blood. I'd be freaking out if it wasn't my own bone and my own blood that I'm looking at. And we are in the middle of downtown Los Angeles on Hawthorne in a Friday night in the middle of 90s. It is crazy. So they take me down. We go through a metal, metal detector. There's a naked man right there. People with gunshot wounds. I'm sitting down. I'm like, I just got a finger broken. They ain't going to see me for four years in here. There's got to be suburbs in here. Take me to the suburbs. <laughs> One of the suburbs got my finger checked out. And this is the same situation here. His woman, his daughter needs immediate attention, but Jesus is not going to be rushed. Nobody is going to hurry his time schedule. See, God's love for us is not incompatible with our delays. Delays happen by divine design. A delay is not always a denial. But delays teach us lessons that are priceless. And here's the third lesson we le less learn in this story. God does his deepest work in the delay. 
Pride is knocked out because of delays. Sinful attitudes are squeezed out in the delay. I can think of the delays in my life and the moments that I've trusted God and I ask God for certain things, but God does his deepest work. I'm so thankful for God who just doesn't put band-aids on our issues, but he performs open-heart surgery because in the delay, God is preparing you for the breakthrough. In the delay, God is showing you things about himself that you can never learn outside of that. It's in the delay that God begins to open up heaven and says this is who I am this is how I work you can know me though I hate the delays though I never want to walk in the delays once I come out of the delay I thank God for the delay because if it wasn't for the delay I would not know God like I know him right now and the delay prepares you for the blessings that are coming because if God would pour out his blessings on your life without the delay and the character building moment you cannot handle it Here's the fourth lesson that you learn. That when you go to Jesus, you will give to him and receive from him more than you expected. You're going to get more than you expected from Jesus, but you're also going to give more than you expected when you come to Jesus. We all want the get more part. We aren't too excited about the give more part, but all through this, God is developing us. Jairus is expecting Jesus to heal his daughter's fever, but he's going to get... Jesus to raise her from the dead. And keep in mind, up to this point, nobody in Jesus' ministry has been raised from the dead. He's also going to give more. He thought all he had to do was believe in faith and worship and ask Jesus to heal his daughter. Instead, he's going to have to believe Jesus to do something he's never seen him do before, raise somebody from the dead. It's the same way for this woman of the issue of blood. She gets more than she was expected. The woman is going for a healing and she gets salvation. Verse 34, we looked at it. Daughter, your faith has made you well. He calls her daughter. Not only that, that word well in verse 34 is the Greek word zozo. It is used consistently in the Old Testament for salvation. She went for healing and she gets an eternal relationship with Jesus. Now she is daughter. It costs her more though. She was thinking, I could just touch and go. I can just be casual. Nobody has to notice. It's not going to, but she is forced to go public in an exchange with Jesus. She is forced to put everything on the line. She's forced to come face to face with Jesus and be in some tense situations. When you deal with Jesus, you will give more than you wanted to give, but you will get more than you wanted to get. And dealing with Jesus is always a great deal. Going back to the story, this woman is getting her miracle, and Jairus gets the worst news any parent can get. Look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Wow. The air has been sucked out. Everything starts spinning. His body becomes numb. Why trouble the teaching any further? But I love verse 36. Look what it says. But overhearing, Jesus is in control. He knows every situation. He knows every conversation. But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Don't fear. Only believe. Circle, underline, highlight, smiley face. Put that in your Bible for the rest of your life. Because that's a direct word from Jesus in the midst of your delay, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of what you're going through. Don't fear. Only believe. And here's the final lesson that we're going to learn in this. That God is more powerful and more personal than we can ever imagine. Is Jesus delaying something in your life? People say, why is God delaying and answering this prayer? I've been asking him and asking him and asking him and he doesn't do it. How can God know better than me what I need right now? And his word to you is don't be afraid, only believe. 
trust me. Trust that I love you. Trust that I'm able to meet your need. For Jesus to raise a girl from the dead and cure a fever is no different. And we've learned this in this church, that God acts slowly before he moves suddenly. Do you believe that God loves you and wants to meet your needs? For several years of my life, I believe that God wanted to meet the needs of others, that God can meet the needs of others, that God is willing and able to meet the needs of others. But it was hard for God, for me to ask God to believe things in my life. Have you ever been there? Like, God, you can do it for them. How about me? But for God to move in your life, you actually got to believe that God wants to move in your life. It's not until you believe that God wants to work in your life that he will. That God, yes, he loves everybody. Yes, he loves the church. Yes, he's done this for the church. He's done this for them. But do you realize that God wants to do something for you? He wants to get personal. We serve a God who leaves a meeting. And we serve a God who is in the middle of what he's doing and comes directly and leaves a crowd to come to minister to one person's house. And watch this. And Jesus is going to do something right now beyond what Jairus thought. Look at verse 37. And I love this. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James. I've learned sometimes when Jesus is about to reveal himself to you in new ways, you've got to get away from the crowd. The deep places God wants to take you, the crowd can't follow you. It's got to be a personal thing between you and him. And when I realized when God has done big things and he's taking me to new levels, he sometimes stripped the crowd away. He stripped people away. He stripped distractions away so he can have time with me. That's what he's doing here with Jairus. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. I want you to notice it's taking them so long to get there that the mourners have beat them to Jairus' house. And According to Jewish custom in the Jewish Talmud, there were laws on how you would mourn when somebody would die. Even a poor man was required to have at least two flutes and two, two players and wailing women all over. Being that Jarius was a wealthy man, he had a large mourning crew. There was a huge commotion. They were screaming. They were yelling. They were going crazy. They were mourning the loss of this daughter. And look at verse 39. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead. But sleeping. In verse 40. And they laughed at him. And he put them all on the outside. Sometimes there's relationships. Sometimes there's people. Sometimes there's going to be situ- situations where you got to put them on the outside. There's going to be critics where you got to say, I'm sorry. I know you're laughing at what God's about to do in my life. I know you don't believe this. I know you believe this can't happen. But here's what I got to do. Sometimes you got to put them on the outside. And you got to go alone with Jesus. And you got to do, and you got to see God do something personal in your life. Let me tell you, you serve a personal God. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and the mother and those who were with him. And they went where the child was. Six of them, Peter, James, John. Mom and the dad. And taking her by the hand, he said to her this beautiful word, Naramaic, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Talitha Kumi, it's a pet name. A better translation would be honey. It's the words of a loving parent. It would say, honey, it's time to get up. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome. And we see this word throughout the Gospels with amazement, with awe, with wonder that God had done something big. And realize Jesus at the beginning of this miracle was in the midst of a crowd. He was with so many people. And he'd come. And he did 
the most amazing miracle. You realize? I want you to realize this as we look through this series. When Jesus does his greatest miracles, he does them personally for people. Now he gets away from the crowd because he loves people. And in this story, we see that Jesus is so deeply personal that he would get away from the crowd and he'd call a little girl honey and tell her to rise. But yet he's so powerful that he's able to speak into death and bring life. Jesus is so personal he'd perform a miracle just for this family. And God wants to do a miracle just for you. And God is always working in ways that we don't understand. We don't understand them. Because we don't have the full view. But his word, his word in the midst of your situation, don't be afraid. Just believe. Trust. Trust that he sees the beginning from the end. Trust that he created you. Trust that he began the work in you. Trust that he's faithful. And what God wants from us more than anything else is he wants us to trust him through everything that we're facing, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.